1 John chapter 4. Now I should have, we should have looked at 1 John 4 last week, but it escaped me. Um, Last week we picked back up in our study of Reformation and Revival. And what the hope of, in starting this little short section in this series of studies, and like I said, I'm not really sure how long we'll go through this. Uh, but we'll be prayerfully be seeking the Lord and guidance in that. But revival and reformation, but revival especially is such a buzzword these days, uh, especially in the Bible Belt. And so we want to get to understand biblically what revival is and historically what revival is. Um, and to, to sort of help us think about what it is and what should be taking place in revival as we think about it biblically and historically. Um, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, can help us understand how to test things that are taking place. Test the spirits. I'm sure that's, that's sort of a phrase we all know, what comes from 1 John chapter 4. Uh so some you know so the thing that we can we can sort of ground here is not just being uh positive affirming all aspects of everything that we hear as far as a movement or a revival or an awakening but here's the cool thing about God he hasn't left us to guess about anything that he wants us to know um, we're not, we're, he doesn't set us up and say, just assume everything's correct or assume everything's legitimate or don't assume everything is, is illegitimate, but put everything to the test. Um, and so I'm going to th- think through this and just kind of read a couple of a word or two here or there through this section. Chapter four, verse one, beloved. So, He's talking to believers. We want to assume that beloved means loved by God and also loved by John, of course. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. All right, so put everything to the test. Um Look at the next words he says in verse 2. By this you know. He's saying you can have knowledge and know of truth or false or error based on the word of God. Now, if if you've read through 1 John, you know that that's a common occurrence. You know, or by this you know, or by this we know. So the reality of Christianity is that we can know. We don't have to wander around wander around this world or wander wander. <laughs> it's Arkansan for you. Um, what God is doing around here, 
we can know based on how he's defined himself and how he works in his word. You can know the truth of the Bible is our guide. And this this is a verse we all, I'll just read it, and you can write it down and you can memorize it this week. This is a verse that should always be in the back of our minds while we live, while we and we open up our scriptures. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You want to be that. You want to be a worker of the scriptures whom God looks at and says, I and I am I approve your handling of the word of God. But notice what that is called, a worker. What happens when you work? You kind of you, you work up a little stiff, a little sore. Like it takes it takes energy, muscle, sacrifice, effort to work. Same in the scriptures. Now, you're not going to be physically sore unless you're down on your knees pleading that the Lord help you see. You might have some sore legs and some sore knees. But it takes effort. It takes sacrifice of your time, of what what you have going on in your life, to find the truth in the scripture and not just find it, but handle it. Handle it. Care for it well. And what does that lead to us? It leads to um, being renewed in the mind. This is a common theme of what we've been talking about. Being renewed in the mind so you can discern, which is another way, word of saying what? So that you can know what is good and acceptable, comma, what is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? Read your Bible. Right? There you go. Um and when you when you when we when we run across when we run across crowds who aren't striving to be a worker rightly handling the word of truth, you get in sort of this um, what's the word superstitious sort of r- r- Christianity, right? If you're if if your knowledge of of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and the gospel, and the calling upon our lives, the promises of God, if these aren't grounded in Scripture, that's like saying, don't step on the crack, you'll break your mama's back. Because you're just, you don't know what's right or what's wrong. You just are kind of guided by the Christianity cliche, right? Um... uh, one, the one that's really difficult is is prayer. There are there are a lot of people who say they want prayer. There are a lot of people who say they pray. But the question is is well number one, do they? Number two, do they know what they're what they're doing? If you get on any Facebook or any sort of community thing you see person pray for this 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 and you might know that person you say i didn't even know they believed in anything 
And so, or, or, well, I, I won't keep going. The point being is that the reality of Christianity is based on truth and knowledge. It's, you know, scientists are like, oh, science is so good because it's factual. We can figure it out and see it. Well, it takes more blind faith to, in most science these days than it does to see and understand the scriptures. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does a Christian. And I don't mean that in the sense of what we mean by biblical faith. I mean it in the sense of I see without, or I believe without seeing. Big Bang, you seen it? You worked it out? You figured that equation out? That takes faith. That takes believing something without seeing it. Christianity is not a leap in the dark. Christianity is a leap into the light. Right? It's it's based on truth. Truth. Um, okay. So that that in First John chapter four is sort of the basis of okay. People talk about revival. People talk about awakenings or these things happening, going on, this great movement of God or whatever. But the question is, okay, let's test it. Should we? What do we see? If someone says revival is happening at so-and-so or, or, or at this place or that place, first thing we want to understand is revival, first and foremost, as we talked about last week, is a work of the Spirit of God. Revival is the work of the Spirit of God. That's why we're testing spirits, all right? So here's a reality that's very difficult, and it's even hard for me, and I want to try to prayerfully work through this, and maybe we can spend some more time about it. John is implying that there, there is either the work of the Spirit or a work of an evil spirit. You understand? And we as modern day Christians, we tend to shy away from talks about evil spirits and demons. But I think we're kind of coming more into belief as we see what's going on in the world. But the reality behind it is we test the spirits to see whether it is the spirit of God or the spirit of Satan, the spirit of the world. Right? So we're, we we have to understand that the move the work of God in what we would call revival, where where nominal Christians sleepy Christians are awakened, sleepy Christians are awakened, nominal Christians are converted, unbelievers are radically converted. But we talked last week, we talked last week that if the Spirit of God is moving among a people. Who is the first to be named in that place? Jesus. And look what, he, look what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. So how do, we want to know if the Spirit of God's moving in this, in, in this revival or this movement or awakening. Mm-hmm. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is has come and the flesh is from God. When the Spirit of God moves, Jesus is confessed. 
and not in a generic general way that we speak about God that would not be offensive to the Jews or to the Muslims, but Jesus Christ, notice, from God. That is a particular truth about him being God and coming and becoming a man. That is offensive to the Jews and basically idiocy to Muslims. Um, the work of the Spirit is if it moves, if a, if a greater manifestation of the Spirit of God is, is to be present, we would expect that the Spirit, because of its working, uh, would increase our esteem and our affections for Christ. Our esteem and our affections for Christ. I think we talked, um, it was either last Tuesday morning or the Tuesday morning before in our men's meeting, that we, we've, we've fallen away from that word esteem, uh, highly thinking of, of Jesus. And we also don't use the word affections, especially us, us guys. Right? We, don't, we don't show emotion. We don't have affection. Well, if you do not love Christ, be damned, Paul says. We, when the Spirit of God is in someone, they love Jesus Christ. And if the Spirit of God is increasing in his work among someone, then the love of Christ will increase. The love for Christ will increase. Uh, and we know this because what we looked at last week of how the Spirit operates what he is doing. And we saw that in there in 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 4. But it, just a reminder of what we saw last week in John chapter, I think it was 16. He says, John, speaking of the Spirit, says, He, the Spirit, will glorify Jesus. He will glorify me, Jesus says. For he will take what is mine... What is Jesus and declare it to you, right? This is the work of the Spirit of God. Okay, now look at verse 3. We're not, we're not, we don't have a lot to cover tonight. Um, look at verse 3, and we're going to read through uh, 6, and just kind of think about some things as we walk through this. Uh, beginning in three, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Okay, we, we, we touched on that. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now, this is John's second reference to Antichrist. Now, in both instances, he does not, well, in this instance, he does say the spirit of the Antichrist. But in his other reference, he does not, he's not naming it as one individual. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist, and I checked 
there, I think all translations leave out that definite, uh, leave out a definite article, meaning there's no the in front of it. You have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. So this is what I get. What I want, I want to drive this point home again. If it's not the Spirit of God, it's a spirit Antichrist against Christ. Jesus says you're either for or against me. Okay? We deal with the spirit of the Antichrist now. Very much so. It is anti against Christ. And we also, if you I'm trying to think, Romans 8 is a good understanding that the Spirit of God is also the Holy Spirit. And it also says then the Spirit of God is also the Spirit of Christ. So if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, God's Spirit dwells in you. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. Three and one, right? Okay, so anything anti-Christ is anti-God, is anti-Spirit. So it is either I'm, – I'm belaboring this point, and I'm sorry – I, I think it's probably more for me in just trying to give this reality that there are spirits that we need to watch out for. Very much so. Now, it's, I know that that's, that's a difficult thing for us, but it's a biblical reality that we must not... Overlook, And we just ask the Lord again, prayerfully, help us to understand this more and more and more. And we might be, I'll tell you, oh, I'll warn you, you pray that the Lord help you see this and understand this more, you better be ready. We better be ready. But he will hold us fast, right? He will hold us fast. Okay. Um... Let's see, where are we? The spirit, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, verse 4, you are from God. Again, he's, a, he's communicating to, to a congregation of believers. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. What's them? The Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist. Uh, makes me think about... Uh, is it Paul in 1st or 2nd Corinthians that speaks about how uh, the, the ruler of this world has blinded the hearts and, or the minds of, of people? If you can see... Christ, if you have eyes to see, if you trust in Christ, you have overcome in Jesus Christ that Antichrist already, that work against God. That is just sort of a side thought. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you, notice this, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So, two spirits... Spirit of God, the spirit of Antichrist, if you are a true Christian, the spirit of God dwells in you. And you can walk out today knowing 
that the spirit that dwells in you is greater than anything that you will come up against tomorrow or throughout or tonight. Verse 5. They are from the world. Who? These these spirits. These false spirits. Now, this is also we can't we can't sidetrack this. This also is in context of false teachers, false prophets. Uh, he 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 mentions this at the beginning. Um and so we, we take this and understand that these, these false spirits, these uh, antichrist spirits, embody false prophets to spread error. Very much First uh, Timothy, Second Timothy chapter three, with an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And when we think of power, we think of Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. So, again, the good spirit speaks, the evil spirit speaks. How do you know who's speaking? You better be working so you can rightly divide evil good okay so they're speaking they're both speaking whom are you listening to because here's their thing whom you listen to is whom you obey and and so here's here's what here's what we're getting to the world, the spirit of the Antichrist, the devil, is speaking to you to draw your flesh. To obey the passions of the world, the desires of the world. Uh, let's see, Ephesians 2. Um, someone start it for me. First chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, right? You were sons of disobedience. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. That's the evil spirits wanting to draw you in to obey the passions and the lust and the desires of your flesh that you find in the world, right? So... The opposite would be, so that would be the works of the flesh that the the spirit of the Antichrist is drawing you to. Now you have the spirit of God drawing you to what? Say it. Not not works of the flesh, but... Right, fruit of the spirit. Let's look at it, Galatians 6. So we're all sort of working this to say... We're sort of talking through this for us to see. All right, so and so's got so and so said there's this revival going on. So and so and so and so. Well, there should be right speaking, 
right? And, and the, whether it is the, that of the spirit of the world or the spirit of the Antichrist or the spirit of Jesus himself. And one is going to propel you to one or the other, the works of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit. But here's the tricky part. Or they could just be vague in general and not a- actually drawing you from sin to the fruit of the Spirit. And just sort of, as uh, Paul tells Timothy, sort of just giving irreverent babble. And do you know what, what he says that? Right after he says, be a worker of proof, rightly handling the, the word of truth. Because people are just going to give you babble. And you've got to know what you're listening to. If it must be obeyed. Galatians 6. Uh, 16. Galatians, I'm sorry, 5. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, these things and things like these. So that wasn't an exhaustive list there. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We saw that this morning. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love. Now, I know I've said this before. But notice something. That which comes from the flesh is works. That which comes from the Spirit is fruit, not work. You catch my drift? You're going to work to please God apart from the Spirit of God? You're not going to please anybody. Not by the works of your flesh. But when the Spirit of God indwells you by faith in Jesus, how hard does the fruit work to produce the apples and the oranges? Life comes from the tree to produce. Or when the Spirit of God dwells in you, it's not, do this, do that, I need to bear. The, The Spirit of God bears fruit. It is, it is, it's opera, his operation. It is what he is supposed to do, right? Spirit, so let's read what the fruit of the Spirit is. Of course you know it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now let's stop for a second. Does that mean... I don't have to worry about obedience because against such things there is no law. No, that's not what that means. We've talked about loving Jesus. Well, those who love Jesus obey Jesus. 
Okay, the fruit of the Spirit. Just because obedience isn't listed in this list of fruit of the Spirit, we understand that if, if God's Spirit dwells in a person, they have a desire to obey the words of God. So, if the Spirit of God is increasing in a people, in a church like ours, there's a manifestation, a physical appearance of some things should take place. Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. Because if the Spirit of God is moving and increasing, He is working and pushing you away from the works of the flesh and drawing you and drawing out more fruit of the Spirit. He is... He is against, the Spirit of God is against the works of the Antichrist. And what does the Spirit of the Antichrist want you to do? Come on, flesh. Come on. So you see see what we're, where we're getting at here? If the Spirit of God is moving amongst us, we will be confessing our sin to one another. You might be thinking, not me. The Spirit of God got a hold of you. We pray for that to happen. Uh, I I need to come with some more uh, detail on this, but I've heard many stories about um, past revivals or awakenings. And a couple, uh, a couple instances had come to my mind when I was thinking through this. I didn't have time to, to search, research it. But there was, a, there was a, a revival in Asia. I don't remember the area. Um, and if you know anything about Asian culture, you understand that the whole, one of the biggest things about Asian people is to save face. Meaning they'll do whatever, they, they, they'll do whatever it takes to keep their reputation. Okay, and then they do anything. Well, this revival took place. I'm pro- probably told you all this before. This revival took place in this in this uh, community, and they, they there was an out an, this movement, this thing that was happening that people were going to shops within their community and giving them money because of what they had stolen. In the past, they were seeking to confess their sin and not just confess their sin, but give retribution for that which they had taken. Because of the spirit of God moving within whatever church or community that was. Um, and there was another one and I've lost I, I wrote the name or the, the note on here, but I cannot remember it for the life of me. I apologize. Um, I'll come back with that because there, I think it was in uh, Jonathan Edwards uh, when he's discussing the first great awakening, something that was taking place uh, as far as confession and repentance within that community. Isn't that, isn't that what we want? We want the Spirit of God to move so great here that not only that we confess sin and, and, and repent, but that pours out into people around us. 
and it's and it's contagious and righteousness. Oh, that's what it was. That's what it was. I think it was in New uh, in um, New Hampton that things were the the spirit of God was moving so great among the churches. The drunks quit drinking. They didn't get Jesus. They just quit drinking because of the effect of the the change in the town. They thought this something something's here. Something's going on. And they poured it all out. Now, that's a great thing, but the problem is, is that that didn't. That's not eternally. That's not an eternal out. Uh, an effect. Um, and you know, when someone does that and makes that sort of life change, turn over a new leaf. There's a, there's a very good possibility they come back to that, or come back to something else. But the point I wanted to make was that. The righteousness that was welling up by the movement of the Spirit within the churches was having an effect on the town drunks because they were seeing the righteousness of Christ in the churches. That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Um, Okay, I'm going to finish here. Uh, Actually, I'm going to say this and I'm going to give you a couple warnings. How many of you grew up and didn't lock your doors when you grew up? Raise your hand. How many of you don't lock your doors? Or how many of you still don't lock your doors? Okay, we got a few. We got some oh gosh, got some dirt rotors. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm I'm not all messed about it if we forget, you know, at night. Um, we don't lock our car doors, but uh, our vehicle doors. But are we? Does it seem as if cultures change where we are more on alert about sin and evil around us? How many of you would let your kids 20, 30 years ago walk to a place that you would never let them walk now? Right. So what that is, what that is, was the outpouring of the righteousness of the church onto a culture. You see, and so that's why we call this. It is a bittersweet thing. It is a two-edged sword. Because what we have here in our place, in Arkansas, in the South, in the Midwest, is what we refer to it as the Bible Belt. And that became that way because of the growth of the church in this area. But we understand what the Bible Belt is like today, right? That righteousness that affects the culture will eventually begin to wear off. And I think we see that happening today, right? And so, yeah, it was great that we, you know, didn't have to lock our doors or worry so much about what our kids were doing in the front yard. But that was also at a cost, that knowing that a lot of our culture, while acting good, was still on a road to hell, right? Which makes, which, so there's positive aspect of righteousness spilling over from us in, say, a revival or an awakening, but we must not be satisfied and say, oh, well then, you know what? We're all happy in the kingdom. Well, the reality is, is we take the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people, whether we live in the Bible Belt or you, you live in the Vatican, 
We must not take for granted that we live in Fulton County of Arkansas, and we feel a little bit safer here. There are people who are on their way to hell who you would say, that's a good man. Because the good the goodness of a man before God is what? Filthy rags. But if he is in Christ, he is a priest to God to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Okay? So, just a warning as we consider um, the movement of the Spirit in bringing about confession and repentance and things like that. There is no perfect repentance. All right? You can't look and say, oh, no. I know so-and-so goes to that church. There ain't no revival there. I know what he did last Friday night. We can't collectively look at a people and say, oh, if one person isn't repenting, that the Spirit of God is not moving among that people. Okay? We cannot be, we cannot hold people to the standard that, that we could not even hold ourselves. And just, you know, the, the saying's true, there's always a bad apple in the batch, right? That doesn't negate, that doesn't negate the work of God amongst the people, because there's always, there's always a bad apple. Okay? Um, we'll fit, we'll, we'll end there. Uh, and any thoughts, questions before we close in prayer? Just that one preacher, uh, he'd been on, on TV, he had, uh, 